Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Larry Levine, President and CEO of Blythedale Children's Hospital in Valhalla, New York. Larry, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Before we jump into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure. So I'm the CEO at Blythedale Children's Hospital. And I've been here for about 22 years. Prior to that, uh, I was the executive director of what was once known as Schneider Children's Hospital, which is now the Stephen and Alexandra Cohen Children's Medical Center, which is part of Northwell Health System. And even before that, I spent 16 years in hospital consulting with a special focus on children's hospitals. So... All in, I've got about 46 years of healthcare experience. But, you know, I think what's really relevant um, in my background to our topic today, which is why public policy advocacy is so important to the job of a hospital CEO, my very first job in healthcare was an intern in Senator uh, Ted Kennedy's office. And this job to me was one of the most impactful of my career. Um, initially, I started off as a lowly legislative correspondent, which means I had to respond to constituent mail. But I had the unique opportunity of having a front row seat watching the crafting of the National Health Security Act, which was National Health Insurance Legislation, which today we call, I guess, single payer. And way back then, I saw how legislation was written and the behind-the-scenes efforts to gain political support and the influence of interest groups. And most important, Laura, were the patient stories, which were so gripping and horrifying. Still remember that. And how so many patients didn't have access to timely and affordable healthcare in one of the richest nations on earth. And that left an indelible mark on me as a young person as I pursued my graduate school studies and then went into the hospital management field. Well, fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today and looking forward to learning a little bit more about advocacy, especially for a hospital CEO. How do you approach advocacy and why is it an important aspect of a CEO's role? Well, there's there's two important aspects to public policy advocacy for any hospital CEO. One is you want to advocate for your patient population. Perhaps you want to start some new programs or you want to get funding or you want to change the healthcare system in some way to improve access to any particular population, it could be medically fragile children, uh, people with cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, uh, diabetes, whatever. That's just an important uh, aspect because CEOs have the bully pulpit and therefore they can talk with authority on behalf of their patients and try to get their interests in some sort of enabling legislation. And second, 
it's reimbursement. So important for hospitals these days, any sort of important finances will allow us to invest in quality of care and to continue our mission-driven programs. So those are really the two fundamental reasons why anyone would do advocacy in Washington, D.C. and in our state capitals. I would say, though, as children's hospitals, the role of public policy advocacy is even more important. In effect, we are an important voice in Washington uh, and, again, in Albany, New York, for which is our state capital, for children, because children don't have uh, the ability to vote. They don't have a powerful lobby like AARP or like other big interest groups who represent a variety of different interests for adults. So of particular interest to us in providing that voice to kids and their families is really advocacy on behalf of Medicaid. And Medicaid, if, if you don't know, Medicaid's so important to children's hospitals because 50 to 80% of the care provided by children's hospitals around the nation is just for that particular program. So you can imagine that many of the kids that we treat come from poor communities, poor neighborhoods who don't have fancy lobbyists representing them. And that's where we as Children's Hospital CEO, CEOs have such an important role to represent the unrepresented or the underrepresented. So when we talk of health insurance legislation or proposed budget cuts, that's where we really have to step up and educate our legislators and their staffs. That's a, a really great point and interesting to think about in terms of really that advocacy role being for the patients and children who don't always have a voice on Capitol Hill. I'm wondering, could you go through just a, a few of the top issues um, that you're working on right now or you know, that you're advocating for in, in terms of children's hospital and, and what really will be important for legislators to consider in the next few years? Yeah. So there's basically three things right now that are that are on my plate. One is, which is very timely, COVID relief from the federal government that would go to the states. Again, we're 75 percent Medicaid. So we really need here in New York federal funding in our state budget, which is now showing a, a shortfall of 15 billion dollars. If we don't get appropriate federal relief, then Medicaid is going to be cut, and therefore our children's hospital and our services are going to be cut. So I'm really spending a lot of time with our New York State delegation, both in the House of Representatives and also in the Senate, to advocate for full funding, the $350 billion in the Biden proposal, to, uh, to provide this appropriate relief for states. That'll be really important. The, the second thing that is on my plate is behavioral or mental health legislation. Um, a lot of lip services, you know, is being paid to behavioral health, but not a lot of corresponding legislation or dollars. And the mental health system for children is just abysmal. It's a fragmented system. The reimbursement's poor. We don't have enough child psychiatrists in the nation. And so that's a very, very important piece, particularly during the pandemic, where kids are so anxious and very depressed. We need sort of uh, an important behavioral or mental health approach, and that has to come through legislation. And 
sort of a bigger picture item once all the finances get settled out, but certainly not the least on my list, is to have an honest discussion in this country about health insurance, um, free from uh, fear-mongering and devoid of uh, any myths and really based on facts. And I think what we've all learned the hard way during this pandemic, and I certainly talked to a number of parents of sick kids at our, at our hospital, is that if you lose your job or your hours get cut, you lose your health insurance. And even if you keep your job and you have health insurance, a lot of the parents of, their, of the patients that we have such, have such high deductibles and out-of-pocket expenses. And I know of parents that have literally gone bankrupt uh, because of their inability to pay their medical debts. So, you know, this just continues to be such an important problem. And I think the other thing, which again gets exacerbated by the health insurance crisis is we have such a confusing set of networks, which means that you may not get to see the doctor of your choice, particularly a pediatric subspecialist who is recommended by your pediatrician. That is just so frustrating for parents. All they wanna do is get care for their kid to get a proper diagnosis and then a treatment plan and not have to worry about any of this. And then on top of it, once you finally get the, the, uh, per, perhaps to the right place for the MRI or the surgeon or the endoscopy test that you need. A lot of times parents find out that the insurance company has denied uh, the test or procedure because they don't see it as medically necessary. And so we all have to have legions of armies, if you will, of people that chase after uh, insurance companies the insurance companies have people to fight against doctors and hospitals. And I just think it's a colossal waste of time. Um, rather, all of these dollars can be re- redirected to the bedside to take care of patients um, in a most appropriate way. So, Laura, one of the things that I'm kind of um, going to be advocating for uh, uh, during the year is what I would consider a, a practical solution. Uh, not so much Medicare for all, but to, to expand Medicare, but start with children. So I would call it like a Medicaid's kind of program. So that's that's kind of on the top of my list. When you think about it, kids, you know, don't get sick. They don't get sick very often. They're only 25% of the population. And um, they're, they're really lower users of healthcare services than adults. So why not start with children uh, as, a, as an experiment to try to improve access and affordability for, for health care for this uh, very deserving population? So those are my top three priorities at the moment. Thank you so much for going through that with us, Larry. I really appreciate your perspective on this, and it sounds like you've got some great ideas to really move children's health care forward. So I'm excited to see how that goes in the coming months. I had one other question in terms of opportunities for hospitals, especially when you're looking at more safety net hospitals. Where do you see them really being able to thrive in the next decade? Well, funding, Laura, is the most important thing, right? We need to have that base of appropriate funding to to move forward. But assuming we get that, 
I think it's incumbent upon all hospitals to to think about developing a uh, like a full continuum of care so that the patient is treated at the right time, at the right place, and for the right price. So the whole focus of keeping the patient out of the hospital uh, and for those who are hospitalized, we all have to invest in a set of community-based resources that need to be in place when that patient is sent home. And so ultimately that means that government and private payers shouldn't be penny wise and pound foolish. So we can't have insurance companies and state governments cutting back on things like home care and personalized care services. Those things have to be fully funded so that patients can be cared for safely in their community, and this is the most cost-effective approach because you're reducing expensive hospitalization and getting the patients where they need to be, and that's and that's at home. So I think that's sort of the biggest challenge for all of us to to fully develop and invest in this continuum of care, and we kind of come full circle. But that's one of the roles I think that hospital CEOs should be advocating for for this full continuum. That makes a lot of sense. And now I have one more question before we wrap up our discussion here for hospital CEOs who, you know, perhaps um, have had this on their mind or, you know, have been thinking about new ideas or, or things they want to advocate for but haven't had a chance to jump in, whether because they've been dealing with things during the pandemic or otherwise. Where do you see as being a really important place for them to start and, and make sure that they are um, heard on the local and national level? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing for CEOs to do is to reach out to leg- the legislators and their staffs. Everyone needs to, at, you know, we can't obviously invite legislators and staffs into our hospitals now because of the pandemic, but Zoom is a great technology. And I think it's really important for CEOs and for VPs of planning and government relations to educate policymakers about their particular hospital, who they treat, what the unique situation is of the health of their communities. And I've often said the most important time to educate legislators is not when you need something. You need to be a resource for staffs that are very, very busy, and CEOs are subject matter experts, and they can provide a lot of data and a lot of information to the legislators and their staffs. And many times, staffs will call me for a particular perspective on a bill or some piece of legislation uh, that someone else is sponsoring and um, to get our opinion on it. And so I think it's really incumbent upon all of us as hospital executives is to uh, be very involved in the political process federally and with regard to your state and local government. Absolutely. Well, Larry, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me.